This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks, show number 170, recorded on June 5th, 2014. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation. All for the Average Tech Guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue. And kind of a stormy Bellevue, Britain, Nebraska tonight. Everything's on UPS, so we should be okay. But some severe weather rolled through here on Tuesday, and they're threatening again tonight. And so a little bit of stormy weather here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And, of course, we post the show with uh, very cool show notes the last couple weeks out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can contact the show. Just send us an email, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Collison. I've been tweeting a little bit more lately. And, of course, you can call in those questions. Write this down if you're listening. Write this down, 402-478-8450. Just call in. It'll take you right to the answering machine. It's not even a machine. It'll take you right to Google Play. It's a Google Voice number. And uh, leave your questions, and uh, we'd love to have you have those on the show. And now Home Gadget Geeks is a part of the Geeks Network. And speaking of the Geeks Network, we'll have a Geeks Network live meetup coming up here. Dave and I are announcing, we'll be announcing a September 20th meetup in Indianapolis that you might want to be a part of. And so uh, more details on that maybe a little bit later. But September 20th, 2014, out in Indianapolis again. And uh, we're actually going to limit it to about 50 people this time. So you might want to check in and see how things are going. There are a lot of bunch of, a lot of bunch of, some really good podcasts because I can't speak any English tonight. Maybe the beer got to me already. Out at uh, thegeeksnetwork.com. Join us in chat. Listen, watch, or uh, get all the navigation for everything you need, including all the RSS feeds out of theaveragguy.tv. All right. Well, we haven't had Christian on in forever. He has had one of the most eventful springs on record that I've ever seen anybody go through. He was in the right place at the right time, doing all the right things. A hard guy to get a hold of. I even hired him. And I couldn't get a hold of him. Christian, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Jim. Uh, funny how that worked, isn't it? I had to but, hire you uh, to keep track of you. <laughs> <laughs> you got less contact by hiring me. I know. I, I think I've talked to you less now that you've been on uh, that you've been working for Gala than uh, than before. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's really been a fantastic first year. Um, you know, sometimes I wondered what the heck it was that I was doing when I was doing it. Um, and just so many different things coming at different angles. Uh, it's it's great that I'm still alive and breathing. Um, but it, it was so much fun, and I definitely wouldn't have uh, changed it if I had to go back and do it all over again. Yeah, well, let's let's go back and do it all over again, just to kind of give bring people up to date. In the midst of the spring, uh, we've launched Cyber Frontiers uh, during all this time, and so. If you haven't caught that yet, head out to TheAverageGuy.tv. We have a completely new channel for Cyber Frontiers, and we've done three so far. We're hoping to do, oh, a handful or so over the summer. Christian's been lining up some uh, some some folks. This will count as kind of a Cyber Frontiers update, Christian, because we're going to talk kind of about what sure. we're doing. But we got Cyber Frontiers launched, um, and and during there, I just mentioned uh, we, we took you on as, in, in, as an intern at Gallup, and uh, we won't spend too much time talking about that, but... Thanks for joining us uh, over there. We haven't seen a lot of you because you've been moving around the country doing a lot of things, but we're hoping to uh, to get some good stuff uh, from you this summer. What uh, I think the last time we chatted, of course, uh, security breach, I think. When was that at the University of Maryland? When did that happen? So the, the data breach happened February 18th, so I think I talked about it. Uh, I think we had a show, actually, either the week of or the following week. Um, so it's been that long, pretty much, since we've talked about, you know, it happened. Um, since then, gosh, and, and I don't even know where, where, where the time has flown, but um, since then, uh, about a month later, not even a month, it was probably two, three weeks, um, I was appointed to the President's Task Force on Cybersecurity, which was uh, really the university's first response to what happened, um, and really, our our charter from the president was to go out and create, um, really look at a comprehensive security of the university, um, look at all of the aspects of 
uh, PII, sensitive data, confidential data, look at how our network is structured, look at our IT policies, and work within those guidelines and within the uh, evolving framework of the whole university system um, to come up with recommendations and a final report that's going to be released to the public um, this month. So you'll actually be able to see what the outcome of that working group has been. Uh, and so I was the undergraduate representative for that, and uh, it was really a great opportunity to give um, some time and energy into you know something I enjoyed doing, but ultimately for the you know betterment and well-being of the university that I attend. So uh, that that was really uh, an interesting experience. We had um, our last meeting this week, and uh, we're getting ready to ship out that report. So. Um, it'll definitely be accessible in a medium that most of our listeners would be able to go out and download it and, and learn about it if that's what they're interested in doing. Yeah, if you think if you think about it, uh, drop me that link and uh, I'll yeah. drop it in the show notes, even if it's after the fact. I know not everybody listens to this exactly right when we publish it. I know a few of you do listen to it, and I appreciate those of you that download this on Sunday or Monday after we release it, and I, and I hear from you guys that you... You listen to it right away. Not everybody does, and so uh, as soon as that becomes, when is that? When did you say that report becomes available? It should be mid June, so okay. I believe after the 11th is when we'll have it ready. Okay. Well, we'll try and tr we'll try and tweet that as well. Just, I know some of you who listen have been following that a little bit, and uh, a, a pretty interesting uh, scenario. Christian can't talk a lot about it. I think uh, what he can say, he's probably said, and most of it will co will become official when the report comes out and uh, you know a little bit of being in the Christian for you a little bit and this is gonna sound kinda of funny but a little bit about being at the right place at the right time with the right people and boom you land yourself into the middle you know in the middle of this team don't talk about the report but talk about what did you learn I mean what personally did you learn through that being a part of that team what, what do you take away from that For me personally, or more yeah. about the no. For you, for yeah. you personally, what what do you take away personally from that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is goes back to fundamentals of communication and effective management strategy. And um, our the current interim CIO, um, Dr. Ann Wiley, who was the previous provost of the University of Maryland, which is uh, basically a provost is the chief academic officer of the campus. Um, extremely astute, um, but perhaps the quality that always rings with me whenever I sit in a meeting is her organization and her sense of effectiveness. And that is, she gets a group of people together who are coming from different organizations, from different backgrounds, and she just knows how to make people click and set the agenda so that when the clock ticks at the top of the hour, she has everyone's attention and she gets right down to business, but she does it in a way that's pleasant, and she does it in just a way that she, you know, a lot of the procedural things that waste a lot of time and are ineffective in meetings that, you know, turn into the two-hour meetings that everyone becomes disengaged from and doesn't want to participate in, she makes that a non-issue. Um, and so I really learned a lot about, you know, how you lead a, a team and how you put something that, I mean, the charge of the task force was huge, um, and the work that had to be done was huge. But the way she actually simplified that into functional working groups and, and putting together that kind of uh, model of, of leadership, I really thought that's something I'm going to take away with me. Um, I'm really also going to take away you know, the importance of, again, collaborating with people in their backyard. And this is something I talk about all the time, but it was so true here, right? I mean. Um, we're working with people who are experts in uh, the research side of cybersecurity, you know, who are division of IT operators for police departments. I mean, there's a whole, everyone brings kind of their own side of it to the table. Um, and I remember definitely several times, you know, sitting in meetings and sometimes I would, uh, you know, hear something and, and think, wow, I definitely would have never thought of that. Other times, I would propose something and someone would counteract it, and I would realize, wow, I, you know, I can't believe I didn't think of that, uh, that, that counterside to it, uh, you know, that quickly. Um, so it helps to have that dialogue, and I think, again, the level of uh, respect and, and 
who was at the table helped a lot. Um, so, you know, those are just, like, general things that I think are really valuable for me. Uh, more on the cybersecurity side, I really think that there's just uh, so much growth that the industry has to do to start getting some of this stuff right. Um, and, and it's not just Maryland. I mean, universities across the country have had these types of issues. And, 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 then, it's not, and then you realize it's not even just universities. It's a whole blanket of uh, corporate America, government sector, um, university sector where these issues are happening. Um, but seeing the, the responses to, you know, here's what we need to do to get better. We came up with some recommendations that I think and the public will most likely think are like really achievable, common sense, you know, implemented, financially backed requirements that, you know, are things that, all right, we need to do this, it makes sense. But there are other areas where we just don't know what the, you know, no one knows in the cybersecurity industry as a whole what the best answer is. The best example is what are we doing with mobile device security. And if you look at that, there's really no uniform standard of how do we deal with personal or sensitive data on mobile devices. Everyone's doing their own thing. No one really knows if the implementation they're employing is uh, both effective from a getting work done perspective and secure. Um, and sitting here tonight, uh, I went to a cyber accelerator called Mach 37. Um, which sponsors and helps startup companies and cybersecurity kind of come together, get venture capital funding, um, and and then you know get get through some of the initial legal aspects of starting different types of companies, and and then grow from there. And it's amazing to see what some of the innovative answers were in the room tonight for some of these problems. Um, but that's the whole point. I mean, we are still in the phase of early innovation in some of these issues. And it reminds me, uh, it was a discussion I was having uh, with my dad, actually, last week. And he said, you know, what really is it about cybersecurity? You know, once you've secured, what, what, at what point does it become relevant or irrelevant? For example, your home network or my home network might be completely secure from the average thing. but it's, it's one of those things where until you're in the room sitting with all these people who are working on these things that have huge meaning and it's just that, that aha moment that you don't get unless you're sitting in that room with those other people, that's something I really wish I could um, capture and bring to people, um, part of the point of what I'm trying to do with Cyber Frontiers. And uh, that's actually going to be one of the great outcomes of, of me getting involved with these folks is that um, many of them have spoken on some of the top podcasts for uh, security in the country um, and have offered to come on the, some future shows. So, you know, I'm going to start lining up some real interesting folks that have a lot to say about these issues. But the dialogue is just starting to unfold, um, and you really you have to immerse yourself in the dialogue to start to realize just how many things we don't know the answer to yet. Um, one of the big conversations tonight that was just fascinating was this whole talk about the security behind IPv6 and how that's been affecting uh, the security of our cell phones and the mobile device carrier networks and some of the you know some of the other national security implications and corporate America implications and uh, you know I don't want to get into it but just that's one specific area that has I mean years worth of work ahead of itself and there's plenty of those types of things out there so um, it's again cybersecurity as a whole as an industry that um, I think is a great time to get into right now the thing I don't have the answer to yet is when does the when does the bubble burst I think and this was actually one of the best points so we, we were in a round table uh, tonight about some of these things and one of the best comments said is that, you know, throughout history with anything, whether it was cybersecurity or, you know, when computers first started, you know, some of the big issues we've had just very generically, we would get to a phase where everything was very intricate and complex and all these different guys would be doing all these different things in the field. And it wasn't until uh, one person came out and said, well, wait a second, 
I have something that's simplified that you know resets the whole thing and makes it something that's actually intelligible and you know black and white. And right now we're looking at every shade of gray in cybersecurity. And the point is, who is going to be the first person that makes it black and white in in some of the large areas? So you know it, this is the time where we have so many shades of gray. It's it, in the next couple of years it's going to start being how do we start making less shades. Um, so I think the task force and what happened at Maryland is very representative of that and the evolving situation. And really, um, the you know the recommendations and any type of post breach response are things that you know some things are instant. You respond to them instantly by taking X, Y, Z in action. Other things are a mapping of you know three to five years to implement, and it's a very kind of um, organizational kind of top-down uh, response where it's a cultural shift. And the cultural shifts and how, especially in cybersecurity, changing culture is perhaps one of the slowest moving things. Um, and so, you know, that's another takeaway for me is uh, how, do you be, how do you become the most efficient person in your network of being that uh, momentum for culture of change? Uh, so I think those are all things that are really applicable to what kind of comes out of the task force for Maryland, but really in general when looking at data breaches. Yeah, I know in the enterprise oftentimes, you, know, you talk about a culture of security, and, uh, and it takes, because enterprises are made up of people, right, because these large organizations are made up of people, and, and people oftentimes are the weakest link in the security systems, creating human firewalls, that's kind of a term uh, we use at Gallup, but uh, changing systems isn't as hard for on the systems themselves. People can apply patches or update systems or change, but you can't cut off your productivity, right? You've got people who've created systems or productivity systems based on a certain set of assumptions being made about how the security is, and then you change that, and that can kind of kill and or or pull back productivity from an organization. So I think as a security expert, you have to take that into account too. Like, well, we can't change this because we have students coming in the fall who need to be able to log into their computers and do work, right, or, or, or get classes, you know, get classwork done or... You know, and I know that's a very simplistic approach to that, but but it does come down to the human issue, right? I mean, you really got to think about how do we take the human engineering or the social, the the human social engineering aspect out, so that the the, the people aren't the weakest link. Right, and and that and the converse to that, another big conversation was about, you know, uh, rather than trying to plug every single hole and worry about you know every single little thing in your network being secured, which is probably not realistic in an enterprise setting. You have to focus on identifying the human factors ahead of the event, not the technological factors. So, like things like advanced persistent threats and you know intrusion detection, those are all good, but they don't stop you know this notion that we have where we we focus on tools and IP addresses and packets coming in. But we don't focus on the people sending them to us. Um, and it's really fascinating to see some of the dialogue uh, going on where companies are having more effective security by knowing what their highest probable enemy targets are when you start getting into you know, corporate espionage and trade secrets and protecting all of that. And, and that's just the largest example of it. But just even in general cybersecurity, knowing who the attacker is and what the groups are that you're most likely to attract by virtue of who you are and what you're doing in the community, that is more effective in many cases than just saying, I have every single you know, possible side plugged in. Because you're going to spend up wasting more time plugging all those holes than, than, and you'll never look at you know, who it is that's responsible and how they're operating with, you know, with what other human resources you miss a big thing and it's very easy to you know get blindsided because you're doing taking that approach to security um, so you know that's another area where yeah the social aspect well, who are the human actors in cybersecurity um, and that's going to be another area that continues to evolve yeah some sociology in, in that in that question right of understanding people and their tendencies and what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it so 
Uh, certainly interesting. Did you meet, uh, speaking of people you know, on the team, did this give you the ability to meet some folks you would normally have not got to run into uh, being on this commission? Yeah, so um, it was actually kind of nice. Several of the folks who I worked with, um, you know, have been professors and, uh, you know, in my circle of uh, uh, professional contacts at the university. Um, for example, the director of the ACES program uh, was on there, and we had, we've, we had a, a pre-existing strong working relationship, so it was nice to be able to leverage that um, as opposed to having to establish a new one. Um, several of the partners from the Maryland Cybersecurity Center were there, um, so that helped me actually get to know these folks better. Um, and yeah, like you said, there were some uh, other people from the administration side of campus that, you know, undergraduate students typically never get to see or interact with. So that was really nice to be able to uh, have that, uh, develop those working relationships and uh, see what could be done on a subcommittee with a bunch of people who just kind of came together but didn't, you know, really have many pre-existing relationships. So that was nice too. How often did you guys meet? Was it pretty uh, regular? Yeah, well, so we had uh, four subcommittees. So the subcommittees would meet uh, at least once or twice a week. And then there was the whole task force, which would also meet uh, typically biweekly because a lot of the work happens in the subcommittees and then it gets reviewed and discussed and the whole thing. So you're looking at one to two meetings a week uh, for the since uh, early March. So. Uh, you know, it's been a it's been a 90 day uh, effort of that. Yeah, well, it's kept you busy, and uh, we'll see the report come out here in June. And uh, you know, it won't make very interesting reading for most people. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, a lot of a lot of cyber cybersecurity nerds maybe will want to pick that up, and and uh, I'm sure there'll be recommendations and actions going forward, and some of those kinds of things that that uh, will make a difference going forward. But that's kind of cool. Uh, uh, not an experience, you know, I think if we go back to the early uh, August podcast from last summer and talk about what you expected in your freshman year, we did a podcast like that for you. I brought you on and kind of said, hey, you know, questions like, you know, what are you expecting and, you know, what would you learn in school and some of that other stuff. And uh, I don't think we saw any of this coming. I mean, wh yeah. what, do you, what do you think this year besides that event what do you think was the biggest surprise of your freshman year? Anything there that really stands out as like, wow, never saw that one coming? Um, honestly, I think it, for me it, it was I didn't expect to become so immersed and involved in cybersecurity. I mean, really, a couple of years ago, this was not my you know primary thing that I was talking about. You know, I was doing a lot of you know more kind of. Uh, We'll say Puritan vanilla applications of computer science, software engineering, development, etc. Um, and you know, big data was really the first like specialization track that I got on. Um, and so I really thought I was going to stay kind of married to that and not get really, you know, have you know cybersecurity related experiences, gain some knowledge that would be helpful, but not really take it to heart. And I think just the reason that that happened partly was because my interests developed, but they developed because of it just like event after event, you know, just more things leading into me becoming involved in that community, um, you know, really starting with, um, you know, the fall launch event where, you know, the very first uh, undergraduate honors college program for cybersecurity, you got 50 uh, bright honors students uh, in the program and, uh, you know, just being able to address them, the CEO, Northrop Grumman, and all of that uh, was cool. Uh, but then it just, you know, snowballed. Um, then getting involved with the students at a very kind of uh, daily level with uh, becoming student board president and working on the programming events and all of that, you know, these are things that are administrative in nature, but actually really get you interested in, you know, what you're administrating on, right? So. Um, I've really enjoyed doing uh, some of the research that I have in cybersecurity this year and seeing, you know, it's not it's not just about is your firewall on, you know, are you using antivirus? I mean, I feel like the average guy has this notion of like, my God, what can these people be researching on? Like, it's got to be the same things. But, you know, just the, the level of intricacy and uh, specificity in some of these areas, if that's even a word, I, I think it's a word. Um, I think you're but, right there. 
I think I'm all right. Um, but you know, just it's it's amazing. And again, I could write you a list on this whiteboard right now of like 500 major questions in security that there are teams of researchers dedicated to trying to answer. That you know, unless you're really kind of into this stuff, you're not asking it. Um, I think on the other hand, though, uh, I really like the fact that I didn't just get sucked into the technical side of cybersecurity because there's so much more happening than just the technical side. Um, taking the honor seminar this semester in privacy and cybersecurity was huge. Um, it it kind of tied together a lot of independent things that I had. Um, you know, known about independently in their own context, but then when put together with cybersecurity was really awesome, but really eye-opening and informative. Um, and you know, I wish that every American citizen had to take a privacy class like that, because I just feel like you learn so much more about just the everyday things that you're doing that are building, you know, a profile of you to companies, to the government, to, you know, anyone really that wants to find out who you are and what you're doing at any time of the day. And it sounds, again, it, most, uh, I think this is changing in a post-Snowden world where, you know, people realize that all these technologies are a thing and not just, you know, sci-fi, it's not really happening, it's only in, like, research labs. Um, you know, I think there's a greater appreciation for the fact that these things are possible and can and do happen um, more frequently than not. And, um, being able to learn how those processes work and what can be done to change the playing field, I think, is um, knowledge that you know. Again, I wish I wish everyone had a you know kind of a baseline understanding of you know. And one uh, one big thing is that like I had notions about privacy laws in the United States. I bet you nine out of and this I'll get Gallup to pull on this someday. I bet I bet you. Nine out of ten Americans have no idea how privacy works in the European Union. They have a totally 180-degree different view of how privacy works over there than what it is over here. They believe, and their laws stipulate that you own all the data you produce and create. And so, you know, things like telephone metadata collection and a lot of the things that we do here are illegal to do in the European Union. Um, and now you're seeing in the news in the last couple of weeks that, you know, Google has hired a chief privacy officer. That's not the right title. There's, there's some, it's similar. Um, but, you know, and their job is to manage all of the incoming requests that have started coming from Europe because now they are legally allowed to request that Google basically wipe them out from Internet history because anything that describes them on the Internet, they own that right, it's their property rights, basically. Um, and so the fact that the notion of privacy in certain nations developed so differently than our own really is also informative about how our own process works. Uh, so, you know, again, those are all things that are really cool that, you know, just getting experience to that in a first-year honors college program for cybersecurity and not having it all just be about, you know, the technology and you know, here's how we do this in Unix, and here's how you build a honeypot. That's really important, um, and and I'm glad that and that enhanced because that's enhanced my education in more than just being a professional in cybersecurity. Um, so I think that's something that a lot of students are going to be walking away with at the end of their time in their own. Let me let me take it down to kind of an average guy level. We got a, you know a lot of listeners here that are just IT guys. They like or they're. They just love technology, you know. They they we are community errors on the side of caution. I think when I when I think when I if when I look at the average listener and kind of what I know about them, they're way more cautious about security than I am. I think just in an informal poll in the way I talk to them. But anything you take away or any changes you take away for the average guy, you know, got a Facebook account, got a Twitter account, you know, works, you know, regular job. That you learn that you like takeaways where you go, yeah, I would probably rethink about this after your first year there. Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, some of these things are again, it's hard to gauge like to that to to the audience and that that thing uh, that kind of level of daily awareness, right? Where it's something that you can kind of take to heart every day. 
one of the big things that I think is something that I've been thinking about and have been changing in my own habits as like my average guy activities on the computer is cookie management. Um, and you know, and I had live demos of it done this semester, so now it's again changed my perception of a lot of things. That your web browser, right? Everyone, pretty much every average tech guy knows what a cookie is and what it does and all of that. Fine, but. I had a demo done where basically your web browser, you install, you know, you have a certain version of your browser, you have a certain number of plugins installed, and you have a certain number of temporary files and cookies and what have you. The tracking community is now basically taking all of the settings that you have in your browser, so your browser settings, your plugin settings, and your user agent string, and they just combine it and make one large string that is a is essentially a unique identifier because almost no one is using the exact same browser version and has the exact same set of plugins installed and is visiting the exact same kinds of websites. And there's actually a website you can go out and test if your user if your browser appears unique on the internet or not. And I tested all of mine and all of mine were unique. I mean there was no uh, commonality to a, a database of millions of these types of user strings put in it. Um, so it really just, you know, when people ask me, like, how does it know my specific location, or how does it know that, you know, I was looking at concert tickets online, or, you know, again, these are things that are like, at one level, people are like, oh, I don't, and this is what I used to think. I was like, I don't care if advertisers know how to get to me. Like, I can choose to kind of filter and ignore advertising, but. Um, I'm starting to see a lot more scenarios where it's not just advertisers doing this, and that's where I start to get, you know, a little bit skittish. Um, so I think evaluating ways we can make our browser a little bit more. Um, again, the whole point of I've seen guys who have taken browsers and made them so secure it's impractical to literally do anything on the internet with, and that's not what I'm advocating. But I think there are some common sense setting changes and things we can rework so that we reduce that risk. Obviously not eliminate it, but again, reduce the surface. My goal in all of these things generally is reduce the surface area, not eliminate the surface area. I think that's, that's the realistic approach we have to take. Um, you know, the other thing, uh, which I just completely forgot, so I'm going to try and... Well let me say this, Christian. I appreciate that point of view of you saying reduce the surface and not eliminate it because so often we come to, uh, or, or security experts, we hear them say, you know, lock everything down, lock the doors, bolt them, close the windows, draw the curtains, you know, don't talk to anybody, don't, you know. And, and we get this kind of irrational, I think, or, or overdone kind of view of, like you know, never go on the internet. If you ever, you know, if you ever want to be safe in life, you should never go on the internet. Not practical. So it's great. Yeah. I, I appreciate that point of view coming from you. Of like, hey, look, you need to reduce the the, the attack surface space that you give them, and uh, and and that's there. There's a point where you, it's impractical to make it impossible. Is that would that be exactly? Said? Yeah, and that's that's really the motto. And. And you're exactly right. No average guy. It, it's paranoia at some point. I mean, I to do the level of some things that I've heard for some people, I'm like, okay, no way. Like, just just stop, right? Um, but here's a really common sense average guy example that this blew my mind away, right? A couple weeks ago, I went to my alma mater elementary school and basically gave a talk to fifth and sixth graders about cybersecurity. And you know what I found out? I learned things. See, they didn't, I didn't teach them. They taught me. And I came from an era where everyone in the fifth grade used one thing, AIM. AIM was like, you were the cool kid if you had a cool AIM handle that people could remember and you could like send like LOL and JK to each other like when you got home from school. That was the thing, right? Now I'm finding out I took a kind of a survey because I, I didn't really know what are these? What do these kids think about cybersecurity and social media? Like, I had no way of judging just how much or how little they knew about it. And what I found out was that, you know, the fifth grade class, uh, by and large, 
only one person raised their hand for Facebook. And I thought Facebook was trickling down to the younger ages. That's not the case. But you're never going to guess what social media almost every single kid in the classroom raised their hand for. And it just, it would have never dawned on me unless I had gone and given that talk. And that was Instagram. Almost every single fifth and sixth grader at that school had an Instagram account and was uploading photos from a mobile phone. And, you know, I tried to give the talk in a way that I didn't scare and freak out, you know, the kids. But um, it's, it's widely known that unless you know what you're doing when you're taking a photo on your mobile phone. And this is an example of common sense reducing of your surface area. When you're taking a phone, uh, a picture on your mobile phone, and you do one of those instant uploads to something like Instagram, Instagram unless you explicitly change the settings or disable it, it will put in the GPS coordinates of where you took that photo in the metadata of the picture. And so kids are now basically creating libraries of where they've been for, you know, past year. And it's so easy for anyone to literally download an album, put it into a metadata viewer, and build a map of date stamps and GPS locations for where these kids are. And, you know, again, worst case scenario, I'm just giving it to you, is that, you know, if there's someone that wants to find and do something harmful to that child for whatever reason, you've just given it to them by doing something completely harmless otherwise, right? So what's the simple answer? Get the GPS and the privacy settings right. But by default, you're not right. Um, and it was amazing to watch the teachers instantly were scrambling with their phones because they, they, this, this had dawned on them. And, the, and uh, yeah, I only told, you know, one of the sixth grade sections because I thought they could handle it. But, you know, it was just, just amazing. Um, I, I feel like I'm in this hip generation of social media, and yet I realize that these fifth graders are all Instagram gurus. I mean, I've never used Instagram. It's that bad. Um, so it, it was really eye-opening to see that, you know, we also need to be doing these common sense average guy things. We need to be targeting them to parents so that they then repass this information in an appropriate way down the line. Um, and uh, it's something with photos because both uh, Pinterest and Snapchat were the second and third ones that yeah, came. Yeah, I was going to say Snapchat for sure. But they were very photo oriented. They weren't text oriented. Twitter and Facebook didn't really hit that age group, which I found surprising. Um, so that, that was very informative to me is that kids care much more about photos than they do text. Yeah, some of that maybe Facebook does have a 13-year-old limit on yep. you know, before you get in. So that may artificially keep some of them out. Uh, but I, no, I would agree with you. I, I think those, you know, the kids have not, you know, each generation kind of lands on its own feet, so to speak, for these social networks. And and, uh, you know, where Facebook has gone to the 30s, 40s, and 50s as a way, I mean, shoot, my mom's on Facebook, right? Uh, my mom had an, a an AOL AIM account for a while at some point. I taught a 70- or 80-year-old gal how to use, uh, back in the day, how to use AIM, you know, instant messaging. And, uh, and it's just funny how that goes. The kids, they also, chat, they also tweet or uh, text a lot that we don't, you know, that's not a platform, that's, like some of the oldest technology that's out there, right? They're still texting each other all the time, and uh, and you know that's one of those kinds of things that it's weird because it doesn't show up on the radar as a platform, and yet they're still texting because it's you know why? Because it's really private. Yeah. Right. So their parents have tracked them down on Twitter <laughs> in the past, you know, and they're like, oh, so hey, if I send a text, guess what? It's old technology that's really can't be, I shouldn't say can't be intercepted, but the average parent is not going to go to that length to track down, you know, text, and so they text each other a lot, too, is from from what I hear, uh, for, yeah, from that, and, you know, Rennie says all their parents are on Facebook, and that's true, you know, Facebook has become really an adult platform for, when I say adult, I mean adults are there, for, um, you know, keeping track of grandkids, and, I mean, parents are posting grandkid pictures on there so that yeah. Everybody, it's it's a great platform for that. So, um, uh, let's see. Anything? Uh, okay. So, any other updates from from that experience? Anything you want to? Anything else you want to say from the from? We we didn't anticipate that. I just realized. Speaking of like tracking people down, if anyone listens to this podcast over the last 
three and a half years, they got a pretty good chronology of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But I pretty much accepted that, okay, at this point, my social security number has been compromised twice. Uh, if I go to Google Images, the first 15 results for my name are all accurately photos of me. You can pretty much find me anywhere in the virtual realm. So I take my own measures to make sure that like you can't stalk me, but other than that, I consider myself a... I just, I just put things in the perception of a public figure of some sort and just treat all of that information that way so that I, I sleep fine at night. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to. I've created 500 podcasts over the last four years and all the stuff that I've done with, you know, we're at 170 today here, and I've done 200 with Dave over at Home Servo, and I've done uh, bunches now at Gallup uh, just recently. And if we think of, uh, you know, if I think of uh, financial tech and fitness tech and all the other shows I've been on, that's about 500. I think that's a number I'm going with. So I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> you know, every, everybody knows, kind of, it's easy to find out where I live. You know, I had a, I had a, a conversation with, uh, with, oh, I forget which one it was at Infotech, but I think we have to make assumptions that that is true, and then we have to put systems in place to protect us knowing yeah. that that information's out there, right? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because actually um, everyone thought, that PII included addresses. They don't. Addresses are no longer considered uh, personally identifiable information of a of a in in the risk matrix of uh, data privacy. It's not really high up there anymore. Yeah. Well, it's so available. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't consider my social security number PII. I think yeah. it's already out there. It know? is. Yeah. And, and uh, it's like you say, with the systems put in place, the credit protection, the monitoring, the you know, making sure you structure your financials in such a way that you don't get owned if something goes wrong. So, yeah, I think you got to make those assumptions going in. So, and not to be afraid of it, but just to just to protect yourself. It's right. just one of those kinds of things you do. Right. And, and you can't run from it. And I, you know, and locking the doors only stops the only stops the honest kind of thing, you know, if somebody's going to go after you, you're going to get, you know, you're, you're probably going to get it, and uh, so having some of those things in place. Hey, let's talk about, we haven't talked much about the classes that you took uh, here in the spring. We spent so much time talking about everything else. Sorry. No, it's, it's, no, it's <laughs> no, but yeah. any, anything, any highlights from the spring of, uh, of any of the classes that you took? Yeah, again, that privacy class was uh, definitely my favorite of the semester. Um, the one I learned the most in, however, was the uh, Introduction to Computer Systems class here, which is uh, CMSC 216. You can look up the course code if you want to look at the information. Um, and don't be fooled, fooled by the word introduction. It's actually considered the weed-out course of the major on campus. It has a near 40% drop rate every year of students that drop the class. Um, but what it, it's really the first kind of, as our, as our professor would say, boonga boonga look of computer systems where you get down to assembly code and you're working up from basically understanding how machines work from binary, then assembly, and then really the first language that made assembly no longer a headache, which was the C programming language that was then used to write Unix and Linux as an operating system. Um, so you learn how to interrupt with a system by writing C code and assembly, and it and you know understanding how you do binary conversions and addressing and you know how registers work and how the memory works and where the data goes when. Uh, those are all things that, as a computer science major, that's the first time you hit the land of boonga boonga. Um, and you did you say the land of um, Oonga Boonga? Boonga Boonga, um, which is like you're in the jungle, right? It's yeah. there's nobody to, there's there's like no hammock to fall on if you mess up. If you if there's something wrong, you will get a seg fault. It will not work. You will crash memory. Everything will go up in smoke. Um, it's very it's very um, you know you're building raw blocks and uh, the smallest of mistakes. It's not like Java where it's like oh, we'll catch this into a nice little error exception that you can then process and handle. It's like, no, if you made a mistake, it's going to 
fail miserably. Um, and it, it really teaches you to look at things about 10 million times over and to be very meticulous um, and uh, shrewd about you know, development and learning the systems. And that's just helpful from not only understanding how computers work, but then you can apply that to things like reverse engineering and cybersecurity, right? So uh, that was by far the class I learned the most in, and and I'm really glad as part of the major because otherwise you just you don't see the full picture without that class. Uh, so buildings are being built, and a brand new building you're moving into next year is that is going to be open for the fall? Absolutely. Um, we actually uh, myself and two other guys just uh, basically. Basically, did a 360 around the building, trying to see if any of the doors were open for public viewing. Of course, they were not. Trying to break in. I never said that. I just <laughs> wanted to see if it was available for public viewing. I put my card through the card reader, thinking maybe they put the students in the system. They had not. Um, but no, it's uh, it's it's pretty much done. They're kind of finishing the interior at this point. Uh, it's going to be fantastic, though. Um, we, of course desperately wanted to write a petition to leadership saying freshmen should be uh, have to go, should not be allowed in Prince Frederick. They should have to live in the place we did where uh, it's cinder block and you don't have air control. And they should realize that they are incredibly spoiled brats to basically be living in a hotel as freshmen where it's the highest priority code on campus to get into the building if you're not in the ACES program. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, it really is unbelievable. It's state-of-the-art facilities, state-of-the-art labs, conference rooms, uh, seminars, uh, office spaces. Uh, the residence life is high tech. I mean, there's it's the first residence life of uh, dorm I've ever heard of that has a laundry machine on every single floor. You normally always have to go drag your stuff down to the basement. There are there's a lounge for social and functions and a lounge for study functions, which the two have always mixed in a very horrible mess that people just avoid in general if you want to pass your your life. Um, and, uh, you know, just really state-of-the-art facilities. So that's going to be exciting. Um, and the ACES, that will really be uh, home base for ACES. So we'll have, uh, you know, lots of, um, lots of opportunities to have, you know, all of the classes for the program will now be taught there. Um, We'll be able to do a lot more functions with uh, cybersecurity research and testing in our labs. So it'll really be a great, it'll almost be like the, the next fresh injection of excitement going into the second year for the program. Um, so I know they're going to probably be doing a ribbon cutting ceremony with Northrop Grumman in the fall and, you know, all that, all the sparkles there. Um, and we're going to have some very interesting lectures. Um, they've confirmed that we're going to have a NSA uh, official teach one of the courses, which is very rare to happen. Uh, he's going to teach a reverse engineering course, so that's going to be uh, really fascinating. Um, so again, uh, lots of cool stuff coming up, and uh, to think that it's, uh, to think that all this cool stuff stopped at the first year, I think is uh, not giving credit to what's about to hit. So. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that, I mean, you had a pretty eventful first year living in the, not the greatest of dorms. It wasn't bad. We made it, you made it work. We made it work. <laughs> I, I actually realized that everyone, it wasn't just me, the way we made it work was we put so much stuff in our dorm rooms and decorated the heck out of it that we felt it was like this glorious palace that was ours. And then it didn't dawn on us till we took everything out of the room for spring move out that we were like, oh, we really were living in a jail cell. We just deluded ourselves. And then realizing that my car, the trunk, the back seat, and the passenger seat were completely full, and that was already after taking my fridge and other large items out in a previous week, I realized I had probably like 50% more things than I actually needed there, but they were just there to make the room look inviting. Yeah, trying um, to fill it up. Yeah, so... Did you, you did you think you acquired more things through the year than you know than you probably should have adding without stuff a doubt to, yeah. yeah I mean I, somehow I organically gathered clothes I had like winter clothes when it was summer and summer clothes when it was winter and nothing was ever working there um, and I, I just I, yeah I definitely collected like trinkets and paperwork and I, I'm like the I'm the guy that will collect all of these stacks of paper and then have to spend a week filtering it back down, and then it happens all over again. Um, but, you know, 
I think I think I've managed to disperse it in a couple different locations of where I am, so that it doesn't all come back to hit me when I move in next year. So. Yeah. So n- not back to Buffalo. Uh, you're staying in the area for the for the summer. Yeah. Uh, we had mentioned earlier you get to get a chance to work uh, work at Gallup, and you and I have been. Although uh, we joked earlier, we've talked less <laughs> since you started at Gallup, and I'm your manager, which is really weird that uh, it would be that way. So we, I think we talked more uh, when it wasn't that way, which should, you know, but you've been busy, and I knew that, so I've, I've kind of let you let you do your stuff. But um, and I think uh, some exciting things coming up for you at Gallup. What else? What's on, what else is on the docket for the summer for you? Yeah. So. Uh you know, just to touch on Gallup really quick, doing some of the, the data science work and tying it in more into the um, business process. It's, this is the first kind of career opportunity that I've been able to do that, where I'm not doing uh, computer science and big data analysis and that those kinds of skill sets for you know science and development, more for business models and improving that. Uh, so I've really I've learned a lot by doing that, um, and it's really great working with Paul Allen just because he has such an expansive knowledge about, um, you know, how uh, capital venture capital works, the the entrepreneurship aspect, and really just how you make virality happen, um, and learning how to take his his like ingenuity based entrepreneurial based ideas and write them in code. So basically, code what Paul Allen comes up with has been a great uh, learning for me. So that's that's been great. Um, yeah. I also am this summer holding a joint appointment at Mid Atlantic Crossroads, which is a uh, research center at the University of Maryland. Basically, um, they specialize in um, high transport. Uh, scientific networking. So I'm going to try and re-say that again because it probably went over your head. But basically, the way to think of it is they are a super, super, super fast um, fiber-based internet service provider. But what they what they specialize in is they build these these high-speed fiber channels to where a lot of big research data sets are. So for example. If you're a professor at Stanford University and you want to download a very large data set from the Hubble telescope located on servers at Goddard Space Flight Center, it's going to go through a very high pipe, like super fast line through Mid-Atlantic Crossroads Network. And uh, the research that I'm specializing in is uh, software-defined networking and how do you take high-performance compute resources and high networking performance resources and provision them on demand so that you know if I want to if I want to open up a pipeline to one of those data repos and and pull in a lot of big data and spin up a cluster and do analysis on that and then spit it back out and shut everything down how do I do that with a click of a couple buttons right um, so that's a big uh, that's the big focus in my area uh, over there um, the research is funded by the National Science Foundation so that's really cool because that gets you into like the uh, you know what are the scientific outcomes of the research you're doing, and uh, how is it advancing the uh, scientific community at large? That's kind of the overall objective of anything NSF funded. Um, so it's been really great um, because that's uh, challenged me to learn a lot more um, fine-grained things about networking, uh, not just like the topology, but you know. There are networking protocols that I never knew existed in different layers, and a lot of cool stuff that goes on. That you know, I've done big data stuff, but I've never had to do the HPC in the cloud from like starting from the hardware. And I literally have started with, I have a development rack that I work on that was completely unconfigured. It was, you need to build this from the ground up. So I have, I have supercompute blades. I have storage clusters with uh, RAID arrays of two terabyte drives. I have like 150 terabytes of storage just on one system. I have, you know, each blade is uh, four socket quad cores, you know, and you have to learn how to turn this from each blade as an individual computer to, you know, now you're it's a distributed system and everything's communicating with each other. And it's doing these software-defined networking things, which is really a new area for uh, networking. So it's it's been it's again 
forced me to get very deep down in an area that you know I knew a lot about, but not at this level. Um, dealing with technologies like InfiniBand, which is a whole different thing from Ethernet. So you know, unless you're an enterprise, you don't really even know InfiniBand is a thing. Um, but it is very popular in the cloud computing and HPC environment just because of the types of data transport you can do. Um, so that's really been an enhancement to the things I've been learning as well. So I like to think that all the experiences I've been doing this past year, in particular the spring though, have, uh, they, they cross over and integrate with my skills, but they're not redundant. I've really gotten individual unique learning points out of each experience. So that's been really nice. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's a year. I think you've probably gotten more experience in a year than most people get in all four. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Just looking from the outside in. It was fun the other day. I'll brag on you a little bit since your dad's hanging out in chat. It was fun the other day. Uh, Gallup was having a big Great Workplace Awards uh, summit in Gallup. I got invited. Uh, one of uh, five, five of a hundred managers on the riverfront, I got invited to come. Just five of us got to come. So it was kind of cool. Paul was there. Got to hear Paul, and he mentioned you from the platform, and that was just that was a great moment. I was like, pretty sweet. I was taking pictures and sending them to you, uh, saying Paul's talking about you right now, Christian, from the platform. And uh, it's kind of fun to see. I mean, that was one of those days. I say this when my worlds collide, right? My podcasting world and my work world all just kind of smashed together in a weird, <laughs> you know, in a weird. A moment of, of coolness, and it was just kind of fun to see. You know, I, the the first time we started podcasting with you, uh, you know, 170 shows ago, I no idea we you know we'd be having this conversation uh, with this kind of stuff. And you're just at the end of your first year, which is pretty pretty amazing to me. So we've got a little ground to cover. We're going to uh, you and I are going to try to set a fairly regular schedule for Cyber Frontiers over the summer. So we'll, we'll talk about that maybe in the post-show a little bit of trying to at least get them scheduled and we'll cancel them if we're not going to do them. But I think that's the only way we're really going to get them in is if we've got some expectations that uh, we got some shows coming up. So we'll talk about that in the post-show. Anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? It's been a good time to catch up with you. I know a lot of folks who've been listening to this program for a long time, and we've quite a few listeners who've come all the way from show number one up, uh, have followed you and your growth through the last couple of years. So it was good to just sit down and catch up with you. Anything, any last things you want to throw in? Yeah, I just want to say it's, it's funny. Uh, when I, it, it struck a note when you were like, your world collided between podcasting and everything else because that, you know, uh, I've, that's happened to me multiple times uh, this semester. Um, actually, like, why am I here right now? I'm here because of a podcast I gave as a guest at the home server show when I was a sophomore in high school. And the gentleman who was listening to that show had been listening to me since that first guest show. It was the first podcast I'd ever done when I was talking about the security essentials added for Windows Home Server. And he followed me through the home tech and the home gadget geeks and cyber frontiers. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's a leader and an innovator in cybersecurity here in DC. Who would figure, right? Um, and so we connected at this Cyber Accelerator event tonight, and it just just to see that uh, evolution go from you know doing a podcast to now you're having an in-person connection and you're meeting all these you know really uh, top-notch folks in the industry. Where you know in the cybersecurity space in Maryland, Virginia, and DC, all the top guys know all the top guys, right? It's one of those once you're in that networking crowd, everyone knows everyone. Um, so just to be a part of that and kind of learn about all the things going on and realize, like, wow, this is this is really weird. The guy who I'm sitting here talking with right now was listening to a podcast over three and a half years ago, and now I'm sitting here talking to him. It's bizarre. Um, it's also just as bizarre that I realized that, you know, I've had this working relationship and uh, friendship with you for uh, three and a half years, and yet I've never met you in person a day in my life. Um, so it's just it's really bizarre to think of how all that's worked, um, but, you know, it all kind of interweaves, so it's cool. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, and, and now you're working, uh, I mean, we work together. Again, <laughs> yeah. we have never, I've never been in the same geographical location, and yet hundreds, I think of the hundreds of hours I've spent with, with you virtually. I mean, it really is, it's so funny because when I talk to people about, 
you know, video conferencing is a lot like social networking for some people. They they don't want to hear themselves. They don't want to see themselves. You know, they get very self self conscious on the camera. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm like, nine of my ten best friendships are virtual. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just don't. I, I I think of a guy like Mike Howard. I mention him all the time. I talk to Mike three four times a week. Uh, and most of that's on video, and uh, and I know him better than I know most people that live down the street. So it's it's one of those kinds of things that you know that's uh, I'm gonna I'm actually so Dave Jackson who I podcast with on Saturday mornings we do a podcast uh, we do a Ask the Podcast show Saturday mornings out at AskThePodcastCoach.com we uh, slash live we um, he always says he has a segment on a show called Because of My Podcast and you just did that's funny you just did that whole segment like. Because yeah. I was on a podcast, it led to you know, it led to this and led to that, and so uh, yeah. Renny says you guys got to fix that. Uh, we almost I tried to bring you out in April for a conference that we had here. I just never got that pulled off. I've have, I have begged and done everything I can to get to the D.C. area, and that so far that hasn't worked out. And uh, it will, um, yeah, it were <laughs> right now. I can't get any travel money to move anybody anywhere. And uh, and so we're we're just kind of hanging tight, and that's okay. It's going to be a great experience. I'm gonna make it out to DC. Uh, maybe I can get Vint to bring me out uh, for some for some event out there or something like that. So have you met? Did you get to meet Mr. Surf there yet? Have you done that? Uh, I'm coming off June 30th, so okay, uh, in a couple of weeks. But actually, it was funny because all the guys I was talking here tonight to, he was just finishing up a conference that all these guys were at. So you know, again, you know, everyone knows everyone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And especially in the cybersecurity space, where actually how the internet works is very important. Uh, it's cool to see all those guys working together. Still, so. Yeah. Now Vince, a very good guy, and I just uh, I like him. I try not to abuse that relationship at all. And uh, whenever I need something at uh, Google, I can just send him a note, and he's been super helpful in getting me things that I've needed, getting people moving, uh, things around Hangouts. That's been uh, that's been really helpful. So. It's fun. That's one of my, uh, you know, Gallup, because we're in D.C. and we have a lot of tie in there. It's nice living in Omaha. I would not want to live in the Beltway. I'll just be honest with you. I would not want to live out in your area. I just, I don't, I don't have the makeup for that. I you know, love you get, it here in you get, you guys, you kind of get used to the axe and the grind. I mean, it's amazing how you just, you get so used to the buzz around here. I mean, when I go home to Buffalo for a couple weeks, it seems like a desert town compared to what's going on here. And not just like what you're seeing and visually what's going around you, but your brain is running. It feels like your brain is cycling, you know, almost ten times faster down here than, than what it is out in Omaha or, or Buffalo or really anywhere outside the capital. So it, it's a lifestyle you got to get used to. Um, I think I managed to just because of my personality, but it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea for sure. Yeah, no, I I've lived out there. I lived in Northern Virginia for a short period of time when I was in the military, and it's like, yeah, I can I can do you know, and I go back to the Bay Area when I go home, and uh, you know, I can do without it. But uh, it's always fun to go, and uh, it's always fun to go and and visit. And so eventually, we'll make that our paths will cross at some point. But somehow, we get a lot done. Never have met in person. I mean, we get a ton. I think all the stuff that we've done and worked on. Couple websites, uh, a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of work. Somehow we get it done. So it, what's what's really funny is we have no boundaries with work. So we'll we'll have phone conversations at ten or eleven o'clock at night, uh, just because that's the time we need to get together to get it done. I still find there's people who find that a foreign concept. Like you're you're working that late at night? Yeah, that's what's that's when it works. You know, that's yeah. when people are awake. So. Uh, all good stuff. Well, Christian, great catching up with you, uh, and uh, and it's good, especially for the listeners. I've gotten to follow your whole progress on this, but I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get you on and uh, and kind of catch up with you. So uh, hang around, and we'll talk about getting Cyber Frontier scheduled here in the post show. Sure thing. I'll, I'll remind folks that uh, if you'd like to, and and uh, I always appreciate when you do. Uh, we have the Tech Scholarship Fund available still, and if you're Looking for something to uh, to review for us? Just let me know. You uh, when you buy at theaverageguy.tv/amazon, we make a little commission off that. I throw that in the bank. And when uh, when you ask me for an item you'd like to review, anything between 50 and 150 bucks, somewhere in there. Uh, if we've got the funds available, I'll buy that for you to uh, ship it to you. 
you'll get to review it and you'll get to keep it. And uh, and that's the best part is you get to keep it. And the the best part for me is I don't have to beg the vendors for it. I hate doing that. You guys know that. And so uh, that's coming up. We actually have a review. I think next week I'm trying to get John Greenaway on here. Uh, he he purchased. He was the last one to purchase an item through that or to have one scholarship to him. And so we're going to try and have him on next week. Uh, the 19th, uh, John Nye, an ethical hacker, is coming on, an Omaha local Omaha guy who's in that hacking space. And uh, I thought it would be pretty interesting to kind of have him on and hear what he has to say. Christian, if you're around, we should bring you on for that one. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Two weeks, that's on the 19th of June. And these are all in 2014. And, uh, and then i gotta get, I got to get working on like the rest of June and all of July. I don't have anything scheduled. We will. I was supposed to have Amber Gott on tonight from LastPass. You know, I was going to ask her how uh, Heartbleed had affected LastPass as a company. You know, they, I'm sure they, their subscriber counts just went through the roof uh, after that. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, LastPass. And I was going to have her on tonight, and I forgot about it. And I didn't get. It was a major sk- uh, scheduling failure on my part. So we'll have her back on in the next couple weeks and, uh, and find out what's going on there at LastPass. You guys have been asking for some fitness tech podcasts, so we'll follow up on that as well in the next couple weeks. We've got one of those scheduled out, and we'll talk about something along those lines. And then uh, I'll just say thanks for listening. We, we, we appreciate you, the listener, who uh, comes out each and every week. The numbers have just been rock solid and stable for now, ah, last year or two. And uh, it's always fun just to have that community, that you as part of the community, my, uh, my desire is to engage with you and find interesting content that you like to listen to. So far, so good. I don't get a lot of complaints. I also don't get, well, I shouldn't say that. I get plenty of affirmation from you guys. So you call in and say, ah, you really liked it. Just tonight, uh, uh, Ken, who's left already out of chat, but he said he'd started doing, we'd had a fitness tech podcast, and he started doing push-ups after we talked about, hey, push-ups are some of the best exercise that the average guy can do. You don't need any weights. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to buy any equipment. Just get on the floor and knock out some push-ups. And he says he's been doing them since that show and uh, has felt himself getting stronger. So that's kind of cool when I hear that kind of feedback. You're like, oh, all right, that's kind of cool. We, we do that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, I appreciate whenever we get any kind of feedback from you, uh, good or bad. I don't really like the bad stuff, but the good stuff is great to listen to as well. We'll be back next Thursday. Again, uh, John Greenaway is scheduled uh, to come in and, uh, with the unit he reviewed. If you want to come back, we'll probably have a few more uh, in here as well. We are always out here at theaverageguy.tv slash live, 830. I'm sorry, that was just tonight, 8 Eastern, 9 Central. And uh, we'd love to have you come back and, uh, and join us for a live show. For those who are listening live, thanks for coming out uh, tonight. Stay around for the post show. We'll do it all again next week. Christian, again, thanks for coming out. And, uh, and have a good night, everybody.